Hello, and welcome to another episode of Puzzling Passion. Hello. We have hey, a guest with friend. us. We're very happy. Wow, you just jumped jumped right off. <laughs> yeah, yeah, sorry. Hi. <laughs> Way to, to, like, destroy the surprise. Ruin it. Uh, yeah. yeah, just like you said, we have an epi- we have our first ever um, customer. What do what you say? Guest? Customer. <laughs> I'm, so, customer, I'm so excited right now. So <laughs> sorry, guys. Uh, Caroline, Caroline, Caroline in yeah. Swedish. Uh, Forsberg or Forsberg. I think it's a really cool name in the English version where you force a berg. Yes. Uh, yeah, dad joke here. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Don't worry about it. My colleagues think Forsberg is quite badass as well. So they they like to just say the name uh, over and over again, like Forsberg. Damn you, Forsberg. <laughs> and stuff like that. <laughs> All right. I think it's going to be a, a thing here on the podcast as well. Damn you, Forsberg. <laughs> Whenever you're not, <laughs> not actually... Uh, uh, concurring or agreeing with something that I say, I'm going to say exactly that. Debbie Forsberg. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> Just go on. Go it. Um, so why are you here? Who are you? Uh, so yes, I'm Caroline. I'm working as a senior gameplay designer at a company called Endreams, where we are developing VR games. And I was invited here today. Uh, it's actually kind of funny story, but like I just kind of accidentally tripped into a chat that Juice were holding. Yeah, so you can call me Juice or Joseph. Joseph. Yeah, okay, but Juice. That guy. Yeah, that guy. (laughs) Yeah, but uh, where you, Juice, were talking to, I think there was some student or someone like that. And uh, yeah, it was kind of like that. And then you asked if I wanted to uh, come and be a guest in your podcast. And I was like, I would love to. So, so yeah, that is basically me. I'm working, uh, working with games. <laughs> yeah, and that, that is actually a really cool uh, title that you have, a gameplay designer. Um, and also, like you said, it was a really cool, a really fun story there. Uh, I was showing off the game, and I, I was talking to to someone that was aspiring to become a uh, a game writer. Oh, cool! So when you get, got in there, it was like, hey. Yeah. Hey, to you too. <laughs> <laughs> the thing was that I I have actually never used like the streaming or looked at someone streaming in Discord. So it was basically one of those nights when I was uh, sitting at home with my computer and I was like, oh, there's someone streaming at Discord. I wonder if I can just have a look what they are streaming. <laughs> and I thought I could do it kind of secretly. Uh, <laughs> and then I kind of crashed your conversation. Like, like, a, like a stalker on Twitch. Yes, uh. <laughs> <laughs> so so yeah uh, so now i know that now i know yeah. i can't just jump into a stream secretly on discord so exactly <laughs> on the other hand you whenever you do that non-secretly you get to be a guest on the podcast yeah um so how has your trip been in in regards to becoming a game developer where is your where did you start off your journey and did you really know when you were younger that you wanted to be an aspiring game des- gameplay designer? So when I was a kid, I always loved games and I wanted to make games. But the thing was that when I was a kid, I thought that you had to do everything by yourself. You had to code, you had to animate, you had to do art, like basically everything. And I remember that I was trying to learn some coding and I think I was like 11 at that time. 
but it was too difficult because it was like in English and then it was Java because I didn't know where to start. So after a while I was like, ah, <laughs> this is too hard. So I was kind of like, okay, uh, I can't be a game developer. And then when I was in high school, I actually met, uh, it was like a friend's friend who was studying to become a game artist. And I was like, you can study to become a game artist? Like you can study to work with games. And that is actually how I found, found out about it. So what happened was that when I quit uh, high school, I started to studying in Skövde at the university there. Uh, and I went my three years there. Uh, I, the reason why I also, I can just mention it right away. The reason why I choose a university and not like a vocabulary school like Future Games or Playground Squad was that at that time, I everything was kind of new to me. And I didn't really know if games was what I actually wanted to do or if I wanted to do something else. I felt like this is a bit safer to choose like a bachelor in computer science because I can work with other stuff in worst case if I don't want to work with games. Uh, but yeah, I, I've wrapped up my studies after three years and then it was time to for me to start looking for a job. And I was actually kind of lucky because I landed an internship at a quite small kind of mobile Facebook game studio in California. So I went there for an internship, but since they were kind of small, they didn't have the money or capital to hire me. Uh, so, but it still gave me some like experience and something to put in my portfolio and something for my resume, which actually led me to Star Stable, where I worked for a bit over five years. Uh, and then in January, I started working at Endreams, where I'm currently at as a senior gameplay designer. Ooh, that sounds quite the, quite the journey. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'm actually I'm throughout the the talk that you just had this small presentation in for like three minutes or something. <laughs> I already have like thirty exact uh, something questions because yeah. of, first of all, what kind of games have you have you been working on? I mean, you said that you you've been uh, to to the U.S. You've been uh, doing stuff for Star Stable. What kind what what kinds of games are there? How how do they differ from each other? And what did you take with you? from those uh, experiences into this new place that you're with, uh, where you're at right now? That's a really good question. Uh, at, the, at the place where I started, at the internship, that was basically a game company that focused on Facebook games and mobile games. So I was working on a game kind of similar to Farmville, where it kind of was collecting animals. So you were running around uh, and was unlocking new worlds and collecting like lions and elephants and dogs and cats and things like that. <laughs> uh, so it was basically kind of like a, like that type of game, uh, but it was really valuable because I started to learn some scripting at the studio. I had some really good managers and seniors in the team that kind of started to teach me some of the basic of game development that is not like the theory that you learn in school, but basically 
real game development. Yeah, actual practice. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and when I later got to Star Stable, uh, which also creating the game Star Stable Online, which is an uh, online horse adventure game. It's like an MMO with horses. Uh, <laughs> I love that summary. <laughs> <laughs> Short <Yeah>. and sweet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but basically when I got there, I started to... I mean, it was quite two different type of games. Like one game is like a Facebook games that are quite small. You just play it for like five minutes as max. You kind of need to pay in order to continue to play or you have to wait to regain energy, basically, with the Facebook games. But with Star Stable, now there was suddenly this open uh, MMO game with like an open world. You had your horse running around, you're doing quests, you're doing competitions, you hang out with people and your friends and your guild and stuff like that. <laughs> uh, oh, sorry, I'm laughing because I've got this picture of World of Warcraft, but horse style. <laughs> it's kind of funny that you actually mention it because uh when i started it's like the oh sorry yeah oh no no so go ahead uh, it's like having just the mounts uh, without the actual characters <laughs> running around right well the, the mounts killed off the, the heroes and then just run off in the wild they were the only ones that survived <laughs> post-apocalyptic craft aka the star stable I mean, the funny thing actually was that when I started at Star Stable, uh, we were called Pixel Tales. And Pixel Tales was this kind of small company. When I started, I think there was like seven people uh, who worked there. And the guy, Marcus Turell, who was one of the creators of this game, he was also a big fan of World of Warcraft. So I know that he really loved World of Warcraft. And I know that Star Stable in the beginning was a lot kind of inspired by World of Warcraft. Uh, but during the years, I know that it kind of like changed. I mean, the team went from being like a, you know, eight, nine people team to being like now, I think there are over 150 people in the company. Oh, wow. So, so they are like, you know, they have been growing a lot during these years. Uh, so it was really cool to grow with them and see this change like going from this kind of small indie studio to suddenly realize that we are not really you know this small indie startup anymore we're this kind of bigger yeah thing <laughs> bigger better horse <laughs> <laughs> exactly yeah. um that's kind of funny i mean uh looking at it from from different perspective you you obviously have the inside view of this uh for me as an outsider hearing about the world of warcraft horse style uh, <laughs> kind of leads me into thinking that the, the the player base is basically small girls or like mid-aged uh maybe parents playing together with their with their kids how how do you tackle those how did you get more players into your uh player base or was that something Am I actually accurate here in in exactly? In that's that's what I wanted to say. You have to first ask if you're accurate, because you never know. People like horses and animals, man. You should Google it, and you will kind of see uh, how it looks like. But basically, um, I, w I would say that the game is targeting young girls. Uh, they are targeting yeah. um, kids, but then the people who play it is a much broader range. So I would say that it's both kids who play the game, 
but there are also like teenagers, young adults, and I also know that there was some like middle-aged people, grown-ups who were playing it as well. Um, so I actually just did went ahead and did exactly that. I googled it. It looks amazing. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, the, the first vibe I got was uh, Zelda, yeah, but without the actual hero. So. <laughs> go play it, guys. If you're a Zelda fan <laughs> of the World of Warcraft, go. <laughs> I mean, it's, not, it's kind of like I a mean, really cozy environment. So, I mean, I don't work uh, at the studio anymore, so I, I have no idea really what's going on there anymore. But I know that like the world is really, really cozy. It's really relaxing just riding around in these like open areas. And since we're, or since Star Stable is also aiming towards a young audience they also know that they try not to keep it violent so you don't really fight you have quests but you don't have fighting as you do in like world of warcraft or Elder Scrolls online so that is also a bit different i would say from those games yeah and that is really interesting i mean just with that kind of constrict construction uh or restriction rather you as a game developer or game designer have to fit in new mechanics to make sure that whenever you do something new it also uh, corresponds to the things that the company set out to uh, the, the actual vision of the game right yeah uh, and how do you as a game designer cope with that for me it's always been that i want to create games for others like i know that some people go into game development because they want to create you know their own games they want to create yeah. their own ideas uh i'm gonna admit i i did that in the beginning but the more i've been working with this and in this field the more i actually enjoy like creating things for other people it's kind of the same way in the role i have today at end dreams because today it's like a vr game we are targeting i mean we're targeting kind of uh, I would say that we are targeting people who are really into VR, who loves this action, um, you know, action games in VR, kind of like in a kind of quite ranged age spectrum, I would say maybe like from 16 to 35 or something like that. Um, but but like overall, like what I usually do when I'm working as a designer is try to identify like who am I making this game for? Like who is the target audience? Who is the people who are going to play this game? Uh, no matter, you know, if it's aiming for kids or if it's aiming for adults, if it's targeting guys or girls, like I, I just start with that. Then I also try to do research, like, you know, start looking into what other games are there in kind of like similar uh, style and that this target audience tend to like. I mean, that that is something I do quite a lot. Like I do a lot of research, like both in movies, series and games, because you can find so much kind of like tropes and uh, things that are being kind of repeated that you know are things that are likable <laughs> in that case, yeah. if that makes yeah. sense. Yeah, it does. It does. Uh, and how, how do you go about just, I mean, in, in some cases you want to go in the opposite direction, right? Um, just, just to have a knowledge of the trope that you're working with and like going around 
have you actually done anything like that? Have you actually done something that is going against the the norm, so to speak? So instead of having a guy saving a, a damsel in distress, you're having the the a girl uh, being the superhero or whatever uh, saving another girl. <laughs> yeah, for I, instance, I kind of feel like. I can't really talk about the game I'm working on right now. Uh, yeah, obviously, yeah, I guess. Yeah, of course. I know I was part in this process where we developed this story about this blind girl. And in this uh, interaction, when the player meets this blind girl, she is a bit of her own hero. So you kind of have to, or you kind of follow her, and it's more like her friend rather than someone that you just help. So she's kind of like, you know, this strong independent girl everyone is a bit like but you are blind you need to be careful but she's like i still want to do stuff like i'm not going to stop anything from like you know achieving my goals and doing what i want in my life uh and yeah i think like star stable tries to tell a lot of those stories like with different people with different backgrounds and yeah, it's not always, you know, the prince saved the princess. Sometimes the princess saved the prince. Yep. Kind yeah, of like exactly. that. Kind of like my relationship with my wife. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, wife. But she, she hasn't succeeded in saving you just yet. But, uh, I, I'm still friends with you, man. <laughs> still friends yeah. with the devil. <laughs> yeah, you, you, forgot, you forgot about me. I'm quiet. I'm listening to you. <laughs> Uh, that's actually quite impressive, uh, especially from Star Stable, uh, a company that has gone from what was it, seven people to one hundred and fifty. Yeah. To be to be having that thing as a core of their existence. Yeah. To always challenge the status quo, always challenge the stuff, and I mean, just the uh, the game the game Star Stable itself is uh, an evidence of that, right? Yeah. Because who would have thought of World of Warcraft horse style? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry for, <laughs> no. for that description, but yeah, I mean, uh, I <laughs> well, it's mean, a like, unique idea, yeah. It yeah. is, a, and it's, a, I mean, it obviously has succeeded, and it has obviously had some some uh, social impact as well yeah. because there are a lot of players playing it. So, yeah, uh, kudos for that. It's kind of funny. I think, like in the early, early beginning, this was like for a super short time. I still think you can find it if you Google it, but uh, they called like the whole game in the beginning world of horse craft but then they were like no we can't call it that we need to call it something else but i still think like if you google world of horse craft you can find that there was like a company for a short amount of time in stockholm <laughs> that's that's actually awesome i love that name i lo i love name plays it's it's awesome world of horse craft is yeah is too good <laughs> Then you know where it, you know, what it was inspired from and kind of like, you get a feeling about the game, World of Horsecraft. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, it's, it's, the title is definitely going to tell you what the game is about, that it's open world and it's an RPG and stuff. Yeah. So it's, it's definitely going to hit that spot <laughs> immediately. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I understand why they couldn't keep it because of, you know, legal reasons. It would yeah. have been a bit dangerous to go down that road. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I I don't think they would have lost if if would uh, if it would have come to that. Uh, but anyway, it's a good thing to not go for that uh, fight anyway. Yeah, and especially because World of Something uh, Horsecraft um, sounds like 
a parody, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So something that's not really serious, but the game itself is really serious, obviously. So. Yeah. Yeah, and and you know how it is. Legal battles do cost a lot of money. Either. Yeah. I mean, even if you win or lose, they they do cost a lot of money. So it's just not worth it, especially for a small studio to take that battle against Blizzard. It's yeah. Like, yeah. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> That is true. Um, so yeah, you've uh, you've listened to our previous episode, right? That is and correct. I think you've also listened to previous uh, other episodes, and we want to pick your brain on those as well. Nice. I mean, obviously, we we talk a lot, and we sometimes we uh, tend to focus on stuff. That, uh, we we wander off somewhere yeah. in the distance, right, Maxi boy? <laughs> yeah, we do that quite a lot. Yes. <laughs> yeah, uh, and I would like to like pick your brain on on some of the topics that you've listened to. And especially the one, the, the previous previous episode, which was about skills to have as a game designer. Yeah. So first of all, well, let's just backtrack one episode at a time. Uh, what's it, what would you say is the one of the, the best skill to have as a game designer? Or let me just stop there and ask you a question before that. What is the the difference between a game designer and a gameplay designer? Oh. Uh, that is actually a good question. I, I would say, like, it depends probably which company you are at, uh, because at Endreams, where I'm working now, we have, first we have level designers, and they focus, of course, on the level. They're building the environment, and they're creating these, uh, yeah, these levels. Then we have technical designers, and the technical designers are the bridge between code and design. And then we have gameplay and system designer, which I am. And we are working close with the game director to kind of get his vision for the game to the team. We are also creating gameplay mechanics and features like... Um, no, I'm not going to say something I'm working on. I'm going to say something <laughs> else. Jumping. Yeah. World jumping, would that be something that is yeah, that falls under that category? Exactly. Or or like if you want a weapon, like if you want to have a shotgun in the game, that falls also under gameplay. Or if you want to have a boss battle, then that falls under enemies, which we also are looking into and uh what type of different enemies we're gonna present for the players so they have like a different variety variety of uh, enemies that kinda, you know, complements each other and also complement the weapon that the player can pick up, for instance. Uh, so that is kind of like what we as gameplay slash system designers do. We also have uh, parts that are a bit more like feature slash tech designer as well. And they are both working with us, but also with the tech designers. So, so we have a bit of different roles. Uh, there's also the narrative designers, which focusing more heavily on the story and story writing. Uh, so, so I would say like a gameplay designer is more a uh, niche from a designer. So from I would, a game designer. Yeah, yeah, I would right. say game designer could be anything. Like, I mean, if, if you were working on a smaller uh, studio, then you wouldn't probably have it split it up. So like you wouldn't have like a level designer and a gameplay designer and a technical designer. You would probably just have a game designer. Um, that would yeah. cover it. <laughs> uh, okay, super, super cool. So whenever we say game designer uh, during this episode, we actually mean gameplay designer, right? In when it comes to you. Yeah, 
I, I um, yeah. yeah, okay. So, so uh, like I said, you listened to the previous episode and you obviously have some, uh, or probably, let's say that, <laughs> have some uh, <laughs> feedback or thoughts yeah. uh, in regards to, to the skills. So what are, what are those? So I think it was really good that you kind of early on started to talk about like the difference between if you're working in an indie studio or if you're working like for AAA. Because the game designer's skill and the skill the game designer is going to require will be a bit different, of course. Uh, but overall, I would say that for a game designer, uh, I'm not sure if everyone's going to agree with me, but I think it's super important that you can communicate. Because as a game designer, to usually as a game designer, you have either contact with the game director or you're part of this team that has this vision and you try to get the vision down on paper and make it visible. You, as a game designer, usually work and collaborate with the whole team to, you know, make everything go together at the end. So for a game designer, I would say it's super important that you can communicate uh, because otherwise it's going to be hard for the, yeah, it's going to be hard for the whole team. Like, I think communication is such an important skill. I would also say that problem solving is a really, really good skill to have just because you always gonna meet problems. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like there are no project without problems. Uh, you're always going to have like, okay, I have a solution. And then halfway in, you're going to realize like, oh, this is not going to work. Like, this is not going to work. We don't either have the code um, range or like the code support for it, or we don't have our support for it. It's like, okay, how can we solve this? And this also applies for level design as well. But I mean, like you can have this idea that, okay, we're going to make this level. And then when you are like, 50% through the product, you're going to realize like, oh shit, like we need to, we need to cut things. We need to solve this. And how do we solve it? And still are able to deliver a really good game at the end without it feeling like, you know, we have cut away a lot of pieces from it. So that is why I also want to say that problem solving is really important. And then the third thing, this is something I... I know that a lot of people probably wouldn't agree with me, but I would say attitude because, Oof. yeah. There yeah, we, go. we, we go, forgot girl. that one actually. <laughs> <laughs> you show them, girl. Let's bring it up. No, but like for me, I, I think there was actually a really wise man who told me that when you uh, believe in the people you're working with, something magical actually start to happen because, like, you have the power to believe in people. And when you believe in people, you will actually help them to believe in themselves. And when people and the whole team actually start to believe in the product that they are working on, that is basically when the real magic is happening. And you can lift the product from being good to awesome. And I think this was something really, really good that he said to me. And I think actually he is correct with this. Um, because I've seen him also, he's also in the game industry, and I see him working in action. And he's really good with inspiring people and kind of pushing them to always do their best in like a really, I don't know, like it's kind of like this thing, like 
when people actually believe that you are going to deliver something good, you are more likely going to deliver something good than if people, <laughs> you know, expect you to deliver something, yeah, kind of like that. So uh, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, there are a lot of different instances in in throughout my career that I've uh, that I've seen this uh, in action. I've been doing a lot of consultancy, for instance. Oh. And whenever you go into a new place and try to find out what makes that company tick and what their customers are or what the product is, this is something that you have to do yourself. There is no one who actually is going to be there for you to push you in that direction. Unless there is someone. uh, And when there is, you can definitely deliver much more on the promise that you were there to create a cool product. Uh, now, of course, if you're a consultant, there is something else. You just you need to be professional. But uh, there is something to be said for for exactly that th- the thing that you were saying there. That whenever you believe in someone, that whenever you give them the support that they don't even know that they need, yeah, um, you bring out the best of them. Yeah, and yeah. yeah, I actually believe that, and that is why I think attitude is so important. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so you, think, you didn't really think in terms of attitude. Mm-hmm. Oh no, no. 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 <laughs> I think it's more like how, how you're viewing yeah. the product and how you're viewing yeah. your team members, and that you should try to be that positive attitude to the group. Because, like, I mean, even if you delivering feedback, like sometimes there's going to be feedback, and I don't say that sometimes it's going to be bad feedback, but it's also like the way you deliver it, the way you're attituding yeah. it. I think having a positive mindset and a positive attitude can do so much for the team, even when things are not going according to the plan. So that is why I think it's so important to just try to, to even if you by yourself feel a bit like, oh, I'm not sure about this, but for your team's sake, try to be like, we can do this. Like, we're yeah. going to do this and we're going to make it awesome. Yeah. yeah. Attitude. I, I think we missed that in our last episode. To be honest, I, we we should have thought about it because it's very important. I mean, it's 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 how you deliver something to somebody else. You can say the same thing. I mean, let's talk feedback or critique or something. Even if it's, if it's critique, it can be delivered in so many different ways. I mean, if you you can deliver it in a positive way or a negative way. Uh, and it's going to be received in in the in different ways then of course um but it's also how you approach a problem if you approach it from a positive mindset or a negative mindset it's it's just, just going to be very very different exactly um, yeah and i mean um, it's, it's kind of like uh, sorry for just going in here but it's kind of like you know what you said with problem like if you're having a problem and you're just focusing on the problem it's going to be harder to focus on the solution so usually by just trying to have a positive mindset when you find a problem it's like okay lucky that we find this problem now how do we fix it like i mean as soon as we have noticed that there is a problem we don't have to like dig so much in the problem we can start to focus about okay how can we solve this in the best possible way yeah and that was actually a really good example there um finding and finding a problem can be really frustrating for some people but if you if you just tackle it heads on like you just said okay now we just found it how do we go on from this um that is something really valuable to take with you yeah Yeah. 
Okay, so that was that was actually tying a bit to our psychological episode or psychology, maybe I should say. Yeah. <laughs> um, did you listen to that? I think you did, right? Yeah, I did. And what did you th- what did you think uh, of that episode? Was there something that you wanted to add as well? I mean, like overall, I think psychology is uh, it's a hard word. It's <laughs> that word. <laughs> that word. I love that it. Word. Uh, I think it's so interesting, but I also think it's something that really connects with game development because at the end of the day, we're gonna try to make the player feel something, and we're gonna try to manipulate them in a way. Like game development is kind of like magic. Like you're doing stuff that should look nice. It doesn't matter how it looks on the backside of it, as long as it looks real with the right camera angle and with the right sound effect at the right time, you will manipulate the player to feel different ways. And you will manipulate the player into behave in certain ways as well. Like there are so many studies showing, you know, that player tend to take one path uh, over another path, depending on how you frame it with lighting and uh, stuff like that. So, so there is, yeah, I think it's just a really exciting and interesting subject. Yeah, definitely for sure. Um, I just lost something. I was so, there was something that I really wanted to add into one of the things that you said there. Uh, oh yeah, um, so you you're talking about manipulating the player yeah. and getting them to do something for you. Have you actually misused your godlike skills to <laughs> to manipulate some of your colleagues or maybe land a job or something for any other reason? I hope not. <laughs> crap i was i was hoping for something <laughs> no like uh, i actually uh, i don't think so like no i i really hope not <laughs> that's horrible uh, i can actually say uh i have actually done it uh, oh. and i've done it not only for for landing a job and stuff yeah. like that but also in my leadership skills okay uh, because i've been i've been the leader for a couple of years as well yeah. i've had uh to manage quite large teams as well mm. and to be able to m- motivate them into taking place in a in a in a team in a force um where they don't actually feel like they fit in yeah you can you can actually go into the like game theory not the actual subject game theory but like the theory of game development and pick out some of the th- psycho psychological thing that word uh, and apply it to them huh. And I've done it a couple of times, and to kind of an interesting uh, success. Yeah, well, I mean, of course, that you you can translate game psychology into real life because you're giving the players the real feelings, right? I mean, you can make a player feel angry or sad or you know feel love or whatever through through the story and playing playing the game. So I'm guessing. Why? Why wouldn't it work in real life? There's, um, it's it's just like real psychology, I guess. So yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And actually, there's a there's a field for this. Uh, it's called gamification. <laughs> they they, yeah. they do exact that. They 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 take stuff from the game uh, from the game industry or the gaming uh, theory and apply it to real world examples. Stack Overflow does this to really good extent, uh, where they have these rewards for you whenever you answer a question you get something um 
whenever you comment on someone's or ask someone else uh, whenever you do something you get something for yeah it. a lot of communities you get titles right you get yeah, exactly. uh, yeah you're a beginner and then you're you get uh, some kind of mentor and master i know i i hang out on the adobe community quite a lot because i've answered some adobe audition we were using adobe audition to to record and, and mix and um there were some people that had the use case that we have for our podcast that were wondering okay so how how do i solve this from from a technical perspective and and I can see in the Adobe community you have masters and mentors and legends and stuff like that. So basically, people are leveling up as they answer more questions, and that's a gamification of sort as well. I think yeah, we it's... we talked about it in some episode, but very short. No, we just uh, talked, touched on the subject. Yeah, um, gamification in and of itself is really it's kind of a huge topic, but that actually just is a is scratching the 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 iceberg top <laughs> of the gaming development cycles uh, yeah but anyway it's still it's still valuable information and it's still valuable for landing jobs for instance uh, i landed my previous job because of it because yeah. i know how people communicate and how to communicate with those people and what just to, like before you actually get into the interview yeah uh, this is a tip for anyone before you actually get into the interview please make a joke and see how people react Whenever you see, whenever you do that, you can find out quite a lot about how, what kind of a communication skill you need to apply on that uh, during that uh, interview. Interesting. Yeah. Also, make an appropriate joke. <laughs> <laughs> actually, no. <laughs> I'm actually, I'm just gonna go ahead and like make jokes of. I'm, uh, I'm from Syria, right? Let's just put it out there. I'm from Syria, and we are hairy people, and. <laughs> I've been throwing out a couple of lo those kinds of jokes uh, just to see which level uh, the weirdness lies to. Yeah, uh, yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. You wanted to test those boundaries, right? Exactly. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So the, but, you could just like scratch the boundary, but not exactly in that region. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know what you mean. I mean, it's it's kind of like okay. So I'll tell. I'll I'll say this very extreme thing, or I mean, it's not very extreme, but yeah. And and you see how they react if they get uncomfortable or if they brush it off or if I mean you can yeah, exactly. you can see the different reaction and it can tell you a lot about a person actually. Yeah, that would and be my. Times... Oh, sorry. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> that would actually be my nightmare, like going into an interview <laughs> trying to crack a joke, and everyone is sitting there quiet, looking really <laughs> uncomfortable, <laughs> and you're like, oh no. <laughs> uh, I've been to one of those interviews. <laughs> I still have nightmares. <laughs> I'm shivering right now. Um, that was that was a guy. I just want to take it really short. Yeah. He uh, was a team leader for a team uh, that was working for a huge company, and I was supposed to meet him. Uh, I didn't really know that he was a team leader for that team. Mm -hmm. uh, I really thought he was HR for some, of some kind uh, at the time. And I went in to the interview. Of course, I threw a couple of jokes. Nothing really stuck. <laughs> so I was like, okay, this guy is... One of the blue guys, let's just say, uh, one who's really, he wants to have these, like, really flat out interview styles. These are the questions, just answer them. Uh, and then that was what I went with. The problem was, whenever I threw out an answer to him, uh, there was nothing, literally nothing. He didn't even change any expression at all. No <laughs> eyebrow movement, no... 
oh, giggle. Scary. <laughs> that was really scary. I mean, I started sweating because that is literally the worst feedback that you can get from a communication style. Yeah. So yeah, uh, we wandered off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Wow. I actually, Do you have it? Yeah. Yeah, I actually been to an interview where, like, it, it was kind of like. Uh, it it was for a recruiter who was kind of like, yeah, you want to talk to these people? And I was like, yeah, I mean, it could be interesting to kind of hear a bit about it. Uh, and on the first interview, uh, this person who interviewed me asked if I had played this kind of game that hadn't been released yet. So if I had received the link and played the game. And I was like, no, sorry, like, I haven't got anything from you. This is my first interview. And he was like, oh, I based my whole interview on just your <laughs> playing experience. And he was oh, like, crap. what should we talk about now? <laughs> <laughs> so then he started to ask me like, uh, what games I'd like to play. And uh, I started to mention a few games and he didn't know any of those games. So oh. I was like, okay. And then he was like, yeah, I mean, I think, yeah, he really liked Star Trek. So he was like, do you watch Star Trek? And I was like, no, unfortunately not. Like, <laughs> Literally nothing to talk about there. The coffee? Ah, oh, sorry, I don't really drink coffee. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and it was so, like, I, I really, I mean, that was so difficult because I was sitting there like, you know, just wanted it to end because like, yeah. like we had nothing to talk about. And yeah. at the end, he kind of was trying again, like, have you played any games like similar to Star Trek? And I was like, no. And then he was like, okay, you look so sad. So I started to laugh. And he was like, why are you laughing? And I was like, we don't really have anything in common. And exactly. he was like, oh, what do you mean? And I was like, oh, I can never mind. <laughs> so, oh, oh, that was a horrible interview. So that que the, the question then remains, did you get the job? <laughs> I actually was invited to a following up interview. So I got invited Ooh. to the next one, but I uh, declined. Yeah. Because I felt like, I don't know if I can handle another one of these. <laughs> you, you, asked them if, you asked them if it was the same guy and they were like, yeah. <laughs> and you're like, okay, no, 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 thanks. <laughs> no, no, I just felt like this is probably not the right uh, company, basically. Um, yeah. so, so yeah, <laughs> it was nothing more than that. Um, yeah. but yeah, it, it was one of those interviews where you sit there and like, oh, I just wanted to end, please. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We, I mean, in the programming world or software development world, we, I, I've had my fair share of interviews as well, because I worked as a consultant for a while. Yeah. Um, and, and it, I mean, it just ranges very a lot. Uh, some people are a, a bit more light. Some people are, I've been to interviews where people felt very harsh at least. And they, they were asking only, you know, concrete, concise questions and stuff. And it's like, yeah, okay, I'll answer them. And, um, th then I think some, one interview was, was, uh, really strange where they asked me, okay, so what do you want out of this job? Uh, or your career or something like that. And I, and I said, I want to be the best at what I do. And they and it was like, mm, what do you mean you want to be the best? You mean you're not a team player? I'm like, I'm a team player, but I just want to be as good as I can be at my job. It's like, I'm I'm in here for my personal development as, uh, as well. Like, they didn't like that at all. <laughs> they were like, no, no. 
how 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 can you think that way i'm like but yeah i sorry it's just who i am if you don't like it then that's fine but you know i'm a team player i love working in teams it's by far the best i've ever experienced because i worked alone as well and in teams but in teams it's it's just you know that thing where you solve a problem and you can share it with somebody else it's just amazing yeah it's yeah it's it's the best one i we've been struggling with something for two months or something and 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 then you solve it and you have somebody to to share with yeah when you're sitting alone it's like oh i've been struggling with this for <laughs> two months and then i solved it and it's like woohoo and wait nobody's here <laughs> it's such a That's such a weird the bottle <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> Um, but uh, since you mentioned games, what games do you play? What games do you like? Uh, I actually play quite a lot of different kind of games. Uh, at the moment, I'm actually playing The Witcher 3. Uh, I know nice. I'm a bit <laughs> after with that game. I uh, I, I haven't have... even played it, so... Okay. <laughs> Boo. Boo. Yeah, I know. I know. So yeah, I'm playing that one, and then I'm also uh, switching with Control, if you have played it. Yeah, it's the new... It's, it's the, the new one, right? Yeah. It's yeah. quite new. Uh, yeah. So those are two games I'm playing at the moment. But otherwise, I mean, I like a lot of indie games like Dead Cells. Uh, I mean, Papers, Please is a classic. Like, it, it's a really, really good game. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, Stardew Valley is also like this really cozy, comforting game that kind of, you know, it kind of feels safe and kind of just feel like, oh, I can really relax when I'm playing this game. Um. So yeah, I kind of like to try out different types of games and uh, yeah, just trying to explore more of it. Um, so yeah, that is basically what I would say. Like I'm, I'm trying to gather a lot of knowledge by playing different style and types of games. Uh, yeah. So yeah. One of the things that I sometimes struggle with uh, as a game designer or developer is that you? Whenever you do research, you you go into a game, you enter this game mode, and then you play it, and you play for say four hours, ten hours, and then you just put the controller down because you have basically reverse engineered what the game is about, right? Yeah. Because you not only do you know how how the systems work, ish. Of course, you don't know the the details of it, but you do know. Uh, what intricacies uh, work together. Uh, you do know what subsystems are affected by some action that you do. And when you, the problem for me is whenever I get to that point, I have a hard time continuing with the game unless the game has some kind of a story thing mm-hmm. for me or something visually attracting me to get to the next point. Yeah. Like one some of some of the games that I that do this really well are um The Last of Us, the first one. Yeah. Uh, I haven't played the second one because I know that as soon as I start I'm not gonna put down the controller and I'm probably gonna die because I can't stop breathing. <laughs> or stop <laughs> I will stop breathing because <laughs> no no sleep. Uh and the second prob the second game that I'm thinking of is Horizon. Now oh. we've mentioned Horizon Zero Dawn uh, a couple of times throughout throughout this uh, yeah. podcast, but one of the reasons why it is such a cool game is not only does it have a really cool game mechanic, uh, it has a really cool new take on a classic story where this this is a real this is a small girl 
from a small village going on an epic quest to find out the the world has been destroyed by something and that kind of a thing has had me going is that the same thing do you feel the same way whenever you go into a gaming gaming mode and you do research do you feel like you sometimes have to put down the controller because you've basically reverse engineered the game i mean yeah both yes and no i think like yeah if if i'm going into a game just for kind of the sake of researching it and i don't really like the game like i mean i i play games even if i'm not too found at them i mean i i I'm someone who gets really stressed when I'm playing games where I have to... Like, I'm so bad at shooting in games. Like, I'm really, really sucking at shooting. <laughs> and, like, when I have to do it, like, in time, on time and stuff like that, like, I'm really bad at it. Uh, so it's not, like, a relaxing experience for me. Uh, however, I want to play some of those games just to learn and understand because I can still, you know, analyze it and see, okay, what what is it that people like with this? And I can still understand why people like it, even if I having a hard time with it. Um, but those games, I might not tend to play through. I more play them to studying them and see how they're solving things and see how they are doing things. Like yeah, a couple of weeks back, like I, I having a bit of a hard time with, I, I think... The Last of Us is a beautiful and amazing game. I love the story and everything, but I have a hard time playing it because I hate zombies, uh, because I'm afraid of zombies. I think zombies is one of the most scariest things uh, in the horror uh, theme. Yeah. Kind of, yeah. Uh, so, so I'm thinking just like, it, it's such... I'm getting like sweaty just by playing it. Uh, so for me, it's more like... I was more looking into The Last of Us 2 just to kind of understand it and understand the core mechanics and how they do it. Because like in The Last of Us 2, they have done a lot of really cool accessibility features and where they try to adapt the game to more players. So I was also playing it to kind of look into how they have designed those things and how it play out in the game and things like that. But I know that even if I think The Last of Us is a masterpiece, it's not like a game for me, if it makes sense. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It of totally course. does. Yeah. So, so yeah, I, I can still, I mean, I can still admit that The Last of Us is a good game. Uh, it's just that me personally have a hard time to play it. <laughs> but yeah, it's yeah, just well, it, yeah. It's it's not for everyone. I mean, not even the most popular games are not gonna be played by everyone because it's not like Cyberpunk. For yeah. me, I'm very hyped about it. And probably they, they'll 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 have uh, millions of players, but not everybody's gonna play it because you know it doesn't suit them or they don't like the gameplay or whatever. It can be or the style. I mean, can, it can yeah. be many things. Yeah, I'm but, actually hyped for Cyberpunk too. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's gonna be awesome. Uh, I'm gonna. Yeah, you're not gonna see me around for a couple of years or something <laughs> until I'm done yeah, with that game. You're gonna do the same thing as I if if I started to play the Last of Us two. Exactly, <laughs> but I had so I had a question for you both because you mentioned this analyzing of games. So have you found yourself in a situation where you can't stop analyzing, even if you're just picking up a game just because you love the game and you want to play it, uh, but you can't stop analyzing 
what's going on in the game so you get to that to that point where you can't enjoy the game just because you're just analyzing it uh, all the time um probably <laughs> there's nothing that i can like from the top of my head just throw out there i know that uh, ori and the blind forest was one of those games where i it was the first game i went back to which is kind of a metroidvania uh platformer ish um uh, game uh roguelike sorry uh, and, and I hadn't played one of those for quite a lot, quite some time. And so from that point, from that perspective, yeah, sure. Uh, I did look up to, I did analyze a lot of like animation things and also um, what they did with, with the visual effects because the game itself is so beautiful. It is stunningly beautiful. Yeah. Um, and that was one of the reasons for me to just continue on analyzing the visual aspects of it but when it come when it came to the gameplay aspect of it i don't really think that i did that much analyzing hmm, yeah no not that much i did for a while but i just left that whenever i felt that i found a new mechanic i basically did a minor study on it but that yeah. was basically it what about you caroline uh I think like even if I sometimes analyzing when I'm playing, I can still enjoy it. And sometimes it can also be funny to just ask yourself the question like, huh, I wonder why they have done this choice or why they have done it in this way. And then you kind of see like, oh, this is kind of interesting way they've done it in, or this was kind of like a nice gameplay mechanic they put in here uh, and things like that. So, I mean, I can still enjoy it i sometimes can kind of think it's it's funny uh how they have implemented some things um because you kind of see you kind of see a bit like you know behind the scenes how things are probably yeah. set up uh and i think that can be a bit interesting to kind of recognize as well so so I, I feel like it doesn't take away the joy of playing because I can still really enjoy a good game even if some analyzing can go through it and even if I afterwards can be like okay this was things I liked and this was things that I didn't like but the analyzing part also helps me to look at games from a more objective perspective so I try to you know separate what I subject like my me personally thinks about something because my personal likings and things like that, but also from an objective point of view, like yeah. a game can be really, really awesome, even if I personally doesn't like it just because of my preference or, or because of the things I am interested in and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. I, you said something that really uh, that really struck with me. Um, you said that you you could analyze it through through not only yourself, but also through an objective version and also um, kind of see what happened behind the stage, right? Yeah. So there's, there are a couple of instances where I've found that uh, some games have a really cool story or mechanic like halfway into the game and then all of a sudden the game just like drops. Yeah. Uh, and there are a few of them that I found uh, that do this. And I was thinking mostly because some the game developer community knows that players don't play through the game from start to finish right so they put a lot of effort in the beginning 
and then the game just tends to be thrown down the garbage somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> they, they just want to like finish the game yeah. somewhere. Uh, that's basically <laughs> a really crude uh, distinction. Uh, <laughs> but that's basically uh, you, you can find play- games that do this. You can really see games that really tend to fall off from this really cool uh, rise in tension and the emotions building up and then all of a sudden you just stand there and just hey was this it yeah but i mean like it's it's that is it a 10 seconds or no it's not a 10 second rule i don't know but it's something like you know you say that pete you don't have a lot of time to catch someone like in the first experience so you kind of have to wow them quite early yeah. in the game for them to stay if it's too like uh boring or if it's too much like you know if it's like yeah i mean people will leave then of course there are those games that are kind of like into uh, a certain time of type of genre that people love that might be a bit like too hard for people that are not into it to get into that basically um but but still manage to do it but i think like if you want to hit like this bigger crowd of people you don't have that much time to wow them <laughs> Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's and, uh, it's uh, the equivalent to an elevator pitch. Yeah, basically. Yeah, exactly. But you get a bit more time, of course. But yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I want I want to turn that and into a question to you. How do you cope with that? How do you, as a game developer, uh, manage to wow them in the first section of the game? Iterations, iteration right. after iteration after after iteration. Um, I would say that how we work uh, at End Dreams. We play the game a lot. We talk about uh, the gameplay experience a lot. We play together a lot to kind of see how how we behave in the game and how we react to certain things as player while other people watching. Uh, and we try to just identify, like, okay, what is it that doesn't make this even more exciting? Or why do you feel like this way? Like, why why doesn't it feel like you want to play it right away again, for instance. So I would say it's basically iterations, uh, discussions, analyzing, and then when you have idea, you know, fail fast. If you have an idea, try it fast, see if it works. If it doesn't work, go to the next one and try to pinpoint it, basically. Yeah, right. But then again, you as a game developer and the player... um you develop these skills throughout these iterations, right? So you're kind of biased as well. Yeah. In terms of evaluation of the game. I mean So how how do you do that? How do you cope with that? I mean like in like for instance, like um at End Dreams, we usually bring in people from other team from time to time who hasn't seen the project we are working on because we are multiple teams. So yeah, okay. we can always bring in someone from another team and see their reaction because they haven't seen the product yet. And we try to keep, you know, people a bit away from it. Just so we can kind of play each other's project and give more honest feedback to it. Um, So, I mean, that is uh, a way. I know in Star Stable, we got a lot of feedback from the players, but that was also because we had such short um, production cycles. So you didn't really have the time to iterate that much. It was basically like you create something, you put it out, you kind of see how the players react to it, and then you learn from their reactions. 
and their behaviors in the game. And then you take with it when you do the next production and so on. Uh, and did you do this in like in separate groups, uh, like A-B testing? Or was it basically just throw out the patch and see how people react to it? I mean, in Star Stable, we had some A-B testing. Um, so in that way, we could uh, know. Uh, other cases where we didn't have A-B testing, we could still, you know, you could still see it through KPIs. Um, and uh, yeah, measuring different things like how many people play this, did they play it through, what did they do, um, and yeah, things like that. So in that case, we could learn and kind of get familiar with the crowd that were playing the game. In this case at Endreams, we can't really have the players playing the game yet because once the players playing the game, it's going to be out there. But yeah, yeah, that is why we're trying it out in the team. And also, if we have, you know, someone who's visiting the studio, they can also sometimes uh, just play the game just so we can get this kind of feeling of it. Uh, yeah, I, I guess it's it's kind of like in-house beta testing without yeah. being out there, which is also always very valuable uh, yeah. when you can do that. Yeah. But um, I mean, then, of course, I would say that also, as a, or at least I feel it like as a developer, you are usually... Uh, quite hard on yourself so I feel like you tend more to be like this can be better than saying like oh this is the best thing that it is so I feel like you usually tend to always be like we can push it a bit more yeah we can do it a bit more rather than like oh this is the best of the best <laughs> yeah yeah definitely uh, now, one of the reasons why I was asking that was because in my game that I was previously creating um throughout the iterations i basically became accustomed to see my character through a bunch of uh, visual effects oh. that were popping off everywhere yeah uh, and whenever i did the an external testing i found that people had issues with it although i put out a lot of effort into lowering the the, the blooms and the effects and the, the visual fidelity of stuff and adding markers here and there uh, there was still this thing that kept me knowing where my characters are because I, I tend to play uh, Super Smash Brothers and uh, those kinds of stuff. But for people who didn't play it, this was kind of an annoying thing. Yeah. Um, and with that out of, out of place, um, do you have any final remarks? Do you have any questions that you think that uh, for an aspiring game designer, what would you say that if you knew the things that you know today. Now, this is a classic question that <laughs> basically everyone has. <laughs> if you knew what you knew today, at the time you were, what was it, seven years old, eight years old? Yeah. Uh, what would you have done differently? Or do you have any tips for those? I would say that start uh, learning like Unity or Unreal. I know you talked about it in a previously episode uh, as yep. well. But I would say like start learning a game engine because there are so many good ones out there that are free to use, free to download. Uh, there are a ton of videos on YouTube uh, with tutorials, how to use it and actually start to create because the best way of learning is by doing, I would say. And uh, once again, I would also probably choose to go to a school to learn more about it because there's a lot of great schools in uh, in Sweden, for instance, I know there are in the rest of the world as well, but I know the Swedish schools better. 
than the schools abroad. So, I mean, I would say like go to one of the schools. Like there's a, there's a couple of really, really good schools here in Sweden uh, because they will also be able to teach you and you will be able to work in a group and find other people and start to build a portfolio. Uh, so yeah, that would basically be my tips for anyone who wants to get into game development. Just start learning. <laughs> do stuff. Yeah, exactly. So do stuff, go to school, and eat your peas, people. Yeah. <laughs> your broccoli. <Exactly>. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Believe in yourself. And yeah. definitely do that. Uh, especially believe in this. And also, listen to our podcast, because we uh, do this <laughs> for you as well. We make okay. you believe in yourself. We make now, you believe. Now, but yeah, it's... <laughs> I'll I'll say one thing as well um, before we end. Um, it's um, you get more confidence through skills as well. If you learn things and you do things and you get appreciation for other from others, you get a bit more self confidence. Because I know, I mean, we've all had our first jobs, and I know how how it was when I got my first job. I I was like, can I even program? <laughs> it's like <laughs> I know I can program, but you see these other awesome dudes that have been working for years and years and you're like, Oh damn, you're doubting yourself a lot. But once you get into it and you learn more, uh, it's the same thing with uh, game engines. Once you learn more and people give you feedback on what you're doing, you get more and more confidence. So it, it goes hand in hand. So just learn and, and it will come. Um, yeah. And with that being our final load, Thank you very much, Caroline. I was about to say Katarina again. Caroline. Yeah. Caroline Forsberg in Swedish. Yeah. Yes. Thank you very much for joining us. It was yeah. really nice, actually. It was really nice. Uh, it was really cool to have our me. very first. Yeah, well, I mean, it's it's nice to hear the insights and, and everything. And yeah, it was a real nice conversation. So I have to thank you very much for joining us. Thank you. Yeah. And to you guys listening to us, uh, tune in next week again. And listen to more awesomeness. <laughs> yep. All right. Have a nice day. Bye bye. Bye bye. Bye bye.